0: The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the conclusion of the Holy Gospel according to John. Peter turned and saw the disciple following whom Jesus loved, the one who had also reclined upon his chest during the supper and had said, Master, who is the one who will betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to, said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus said to him, what if I want him to remain until I come? What concern is it of yours? You follow me. So the word spread among the brothers that the disciple would not die. But Jesus had not told him that he would not die, just what if I want him to remain until I come? what concern is it of yours? It is this disciple who testifies to these things and has written them, and we know that his testimony is true. There are also many other things that Jesus did, but if these were to be described individually, I do not think the whole world would contain the books that would be written. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Jesus Christ.
1: Our gospel reading and our first reading today are very carefully chosen for this last day prior to Pentecost. We have in our first reading the conclusion of the Acts of the Apostles and in our gospel reading the conclusion of the Gospel of St. John. And the temptation is to think, well, that makes sense. It's the last day before Pentecost and we're finishing up the books but that's not really what's going on with that. That's merely coincidence. The readings, these two conclusions, drop us off intentionally on the doorstep of the great Sunday of Pentecost in a very powerful and very particular way. Our first reading from the Acts of the Apostles where Paul is in Rome in chains under house arrest, but freely speaking and freely preaching, brings to completion a number of notes that are sounded in the Acts of the Apostles. Not the least of which is the note of imprisonment. If you read the entire book of the Acts of the Apostles, the amount of scenes where somebody is in jail are remarkable. And while it's not written to be a crime novel or a novel about prison breaks, it has a number of those, too. And it is helpful just to pause on that for a moment, because more than any other piece of Scripture, Acts of the Apostles deals with the idea of imprisonment. And we're not used to thinking of our faith in that way. And this is vitally important because the Easter season begins, in a sense, with the greatest of all prison breaks. The Lord whose body is entombed and sealed within, locked in a sense in the prison of the grave, the prison of death, breaks out of that and in doing so takes our humanity with him. Because the truth of the matter is, fallen man, fallen woman, without the advent of grace, we're prisoners. And that is all we are. Imprisoned under the weight of death. Imprisoned under the weight of guilt and there is no escape. And so here it is then that the Lord who is placed in that cell from which there is no escaping, bursts its bonds and is free. Note how wonderful that is. And what does he do on the very night of his resurrection? He visits his church, his apostles, gathered in the place of the supper behind locked doors. And when we lock a door, It's not just that we lock danger out, we lock ourselves in. And so to a place where his disciples were imprisoned by their fear, the Lord passes through the door and brings them his peace. How wonderful it is then that from that very same room where the Lord appeared to overcome their fear, 50 days later, the church will emerge to go boldly out into the world. And time and again, through the Acts of the Apostles, we see this dynamic. First with St. Peter and St. John, then with St. Peter by himself, then with St. Paul on numerous occasions, being arrested, wearing chains, being locked away in a prison, and yet the prison will not hold the faith. The prison will not stop the message. The gospel will move despite the iron bars, despite the locked doors, despite the heavy chains. And so it is that on the one hand, Paul arrives in Rome a prisoner. And Paul is kept under guard wearing chains. And yet, from the heart of Rome, he preaches the gospel. And many come to him, and they bear his word and his teaching out into Rome and beyond. Note how marvelous this is. The world, Rome in all of its power, holds him physically captive but it cannot bind the gospel. It cannot bind the church. And so it is that the faith spreads and the faith grows. Rome brings him a prisoner, and this prisoner announces the freedom of the gospel, which in the end conquers Rome. Note how beautifully that moves out of Jesus bursting the bonds of the grave, bursting the bonds of grief, overcoming the bonds of fear. And to show us the real freedom of the gospel is not the freedom that doesn't involve wearing chains, but the freedom that allows even the one who is in chains to change the world. How absolutely marvelous this is. And so here is Paul. Situated in the very heart of the world, the capital of the Roman Empire, to the eye of the body, merely a prisoner, and yet a free man. More free in his heart than the emperor who rules him. More free in his heart than the soldier who keeps guard over him. And from that freedom and in that freedom, the unconquerable word of Christ issues out across the world, a world that St. John tells us at the very end of his gospel is not big enough to hold all the books that would be written if everything about Jesus was told. Note how remarkable that is. There are many other things that Jesus did, but to write about them in detail, would require a number of books larger than the world is. In speaking this way, the apostle is telling us a couple things. First, the Gospels are not complete historical portraits of Jesus, because they can't be. There is more to Christ than we can communicate. This is why one of the beautiful titles in the early church of Jesus was he is the unwritable word. A word so vast and so great, it has no beginning and no end. We can't write it. We can only jump in someplace in the middle. There is a greatness to Christ that goes beyond our ability to express, that goes beyond our, our ability to fully know on this fallen side of eternity, but that doesn't mean we can know nothing. Rather, what has been written has been selected carefully by the Holy Spirit as those things that are particularly useful for our coming to faith and belief in him. This is also why we have four Gospels and not just one, because no single evangelist's perspective is comprehensive. And so we are given these four beautiful windows into the one saving mystery of what God has done in Jesus. So that taken as a set, our picture and our understanding may be full. But what a beautiful statement. If everything about Jesus could be said, there is not enough space in the entire world for all the books that we would need. However, when he says that, he is implying something. Because as we know, in our Bibles, there are four Gospels, right? But in the life of the church, there are five. And now you're looking at me. Father, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's Four, Where are you getting five? And it's not the mystery gospel, and it's not the secret gospel. It's the gospel that you live. Every single Christian is called to become a living gospel. The fifth gospel is my living of the truth that the four communicate to me. And note, If the church has spread all over the world, then the world should be filled with living gospels. And what do we know? There's room for a few more. In fact, many of us might have missed that very important memo. And so we've been perhaps indifferent to the importance of giving clear witness in our living, to our faith, to the importance of Christ, to the saving character of the gospel. But note, when St. John says there, may, there wouldn't be room in the entire world for all the books, he's not saying that we shouldn't try to write them. He's not saying that we shouldn't try to live it. He's not saying that each of us is off the hook with regard to his or her articulating the gospel in his or her own life. How marvelous that is. Because note, the same Holy Spirit who inspires the writing of the gospels is the Holy Spirit that comes upon the church at Pentecost. And before he inspires the writing of the gospels, he inspires the living of the gospels and the announcing of the gospels and the witnessing to the gospels in the world by men and women, just like us. In a sense, the fifth gospel comes before the four. How beautiful that is. But in a sense, the Holy Spirit sends these living books out into the world to announce, to live, to model, to witness, To be a constant reminder of that full truth which is written down in the four books that we dignify with that great title, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And How marvelous that is when we recognize this is what the Holy Spirit that we are preparing for does for us. It is not simply a matter of giving us gifts and power and ability. It is not simply a generic unity within us, but a common life, a common message, a common living. The Holy Spirit writes us into the story of Jesus Christ. And then in our hearts, writes that story of Jesus in each and every one of us in a way that is particular to us. Because what the, world, what the Lord will do in your life, however similar it may be, is not identical to what he will do in mine. And so note, the Lord continues to do a great many things. And we do in our own lives need to write them down in detail. Not so much with written words, but with the words we speak. And the actions that we do and the manner we pray, and the way we relate to one another. And it's good, then, that we hear this reflection, that we hear this idea of going forth to be the gospel right after Jesus has to pause and address something with St. Peter. And here we see something that has haunted the believing community for 2,000 years. Peter and Jesus have just been speaking. The Lord has just told Peter, Follow me. And Peter, having responded, looks over his shoulder and sees somebody else, another disciple, the disciple that Jesus loved. And what does Peter say? What about him? Don't we say that a lot? Don't we say that a lot? Oftentimes, when somebody is calling us to do something, well, why do I have to do it? What about him? When our behavior is corrected, why do I have to change? Why does he get to stay the way he is? Why does that person get all the opportunities and I don't? Boy, this is a big part of life, isn't it? And what happens is we waste our time and we waste our energy spinning our wheels about somebody else. Why does he get to be that way? Why does she get to do that? Why doesn't anybody do something about them? And know what Jesus says? That's not your business. Your job is to follow me, remember that? Start with what I ask you to do, and don't you worry about what I'm asking of anybody else. Jesus isn't saying that we should be indifferent to one another. But he is saying to Peter, he's reminding Peter, first things first. Before you worry about him, worry about getting yourself right. Don't worry about how he follows me until you've attended to what it means for you to follow me. Again, the Lord comes back to that very important element that if he's speaking to me, he wants me to respond and to respond in the way that he calls me to, not the way somebody else does. He wants me to be first preoccupied with my being faithful to him before I worry about anybody else's. Note how important that is and how liberating that can be. Your job is not to make him right. Your job is to get yourself right. Follow me. Do the work that I have given you and things will work out. We get that wrong. We try to do some other work all the time. We worry about fixing somebody else. And Jesus is saying, not that we ignore one another, but that the first step is not to solve the world's problems. The first step is to do what I ask you to do. And if you follow me, I'll bring you into contact with the things you need to fix. If you follow me, I'll bring you to the people you need to help. If you follow me, I will bring you where you can make a difference. So follow me, and we'll get there. And when Jesus says that, he's also indicating to the other one, And he needs to worry about following me, too, in the way that I've marked out for him. Not the way he marks out for himself, not the way that you would mark out for him. And again, what a a very important message that is. Paul was a great apostle because he worried about that. Let me follow where you lead me. And Paul changed many lives. And Paul involved himself in the affairs of many hearts, but only out of his following of Jesus Christ. St. Peter wonderfully shepherded the church. Once he learned that lesson, follow me, and we'll take care of the rest together. And that's what the Lord says to each and every one of us today. Step one, follow me. The person sitting next to you might not. But you, you can follow me. So do it. Much of the world doesn't follow me. But I'm not talking to them right now. I'm talking to you. Follow me. How wonderful that is. And as we come forward in a few minutes, we're going to stretch out our hands to him. And at that moment of Holy Communion, all Jesus wants is that we look at Him and receive Him and not worry about anything else at least for a minute so that we can receive Him, root Him in our hearts and go forth following Him who is within us. And what a great gift that is. Amen. Amen.